Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new, better than ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Tonight on Huckabee, publishing executive and politician Steve Forbes, NBA star Jonathan Isaac, Killer Bees with hilarious down-home comedy, Christian Music's The Catinos. Welcome, everybody. What a great studio audience we have here in our theater. We're so excited to have you joining us for this week's show. Now, while I was in Israel recently, I was asked by some Israeli friends how they thought the elections would turn out in America this fall. My response was that Republicans will win in a blowout unless, yeah, unless they fail to come up with a cohesive message other than, hey, we aren't those guys who doubled your gas prices, jacked up your groceries by 20%, and who opened the borders to illegals, but busted the supply of baby formula. Yeah, it's got to be more than that. Although that might just win this year. <laughs> the policies of the leftist Democrats have finally become untenable for common sense loving Americans, who unlike Joe Biden's recent nominee to the Supreme Court, do know what a woman is. Yeah. Not that difficult. Now, the Democrats have gone into a wild, irrational rage about abortion, calling it health care for women, even though at least one person dies every time there is an abortion. They claim that four- and five-year-old children ought to be taught about gender fluidity before they even learn their numbers, colors, and letters of the alphabet. But most Americans know that's not just bad, bad policy, it's insanity. And working class Americans have grown tired of the elitists from Hollywood and Washington lecturing about climate change and carbon footprints when the same hypocritical snobs fly around the globe in fuel-sucking, carbon-emitting private jets and then upon landing ride in long black limousines while owning four or five homes, telling us we ought to cut our carbon output. Well, the demands to tax more don't go over well with anyone who owns a business, ours who's trying to just get kids to school each day and feed them each evening. 
But Republicans need to focus on what they will stand for if given the majorities in the House and Senate. Now, keep in mind, even if the GOP takes both houses, they're not going to be able to pass legislation much because Joe Biden isn't likely to sign anything that makes energy cheaper, houses more affordable, or our borders more secure. Biden's party still wants to pursue truly crazy policies like critical race theory that indoctrinates school children to believe that all white children are evil and they're all oppressors and that our nation is systemically racist and bad, despite that it's the one place on earth where people of every color risk their very lives to get to because they believe America is still a great country where freedom and opportunity awaits them. Now, Republicans, they ought to tell America that if elected, they will pursue the following things and then force Joe Biden to either sign the legislation or to explain to struggling Americans why not. Number one, we will finish the border wall, enforce immigration laws, and stop the flow of deadly drugs and human trafficking of small children to become sex slaves for the drug cartels. Number two, we'll support our military by giving them leaders who believe that a military being deadly is more important than being diverse. And that means that people get promoted because they're the best, not because they're the right color, the right gender, or sexual identity. And number three, we will value all life from conception because we just don't think that any human life is disposable or expendable. Number four, we'll work toward a completely different tax system, like the fair tax, where we pay taxes on what we consume not what we produce. And we ought to get rid of the death tax and capital gains taxes because we ought not to punish productivity. Number five, we'll follow the Constitution and allow the states to govern themselves without the federal government mandating the minutia. Number six, we will not tolerate violent crime and letting killers and thugs back on the streets to repeat their attacks on law-abiding public. We ought to have an expectation to walk in our neighborhoods, ride a subway or bus, or get from a car to the front door of a grocery store without being assaulted. Number seven, we will renew energy independence by restarting the Keystone XL pipeline, restart drilling on federal lands, and extracting the oil and natural gas that's under our own feet, and restarting a long-term nuclear energy capacity. Hey. The country is in a mess. And while Biden and the Democrats blame Putin or blame Trump or anyone but themselves, we all know they own the results of their policies. But we, the people, we own the elections with our votes. And the country doesn't belong to the politicians, but to the people. Always has, always will. <laughs> After the break, we're going to be talking with someone who understands the crash of the economy we're going through better than, well, anyone I know. He not only understands it, he can actually explain it in a way we all can comprehend. Steve Forbes is coming up. We'll be right back in a minute.
and welcome back. Steve Forbes is chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media, one of the most respected financial outlets in the whole world. He's also the author and co-author of several books, including his latest, this one. And it couldn't have come at a more appropriate time. The title, Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and most importantly, how to fix it. Steve Forbes is with us tonight to answer all those questions and more. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Steve Forbes. <laughs> Steve, it's great having you here. Good to be here. I can't imagine that you were such of a prophet that you could see into the future and know that when you wrote this book, America would be right in the middle of inflation. But here we are. Uh, here we are. I'd like to say it was sheer genius, but my wife uh, tells me it's not so. 51 years. <laughs> and, and, uh, but it was clear over a year ago, Governor, that uh, things were being done that were going to make real problems in the future. One is even though the COVID crisis was beginning to uh, abate, beginning to move back, the Federal Reserve, our central bank, was creating money, $120 billion a month. And it's amazing how they do it. You know, what they do is they call up a bond dealer and say, <laughs> sell us, give us a billion dollar of government bonds. And what they do is so the dealer says, okay, I'll give you the bonds. And the Fed pays for it by crediting the dealer's bank account. Where do they get the money? Out of thin air. Wouldn't you love at the end of the month to have your checking account replenish for whatever you spend? But that's what the Federal Reserve did, 120 billion a month. And then the Biden administration, you know, when you have a lockdown, you disrupt supply chains, things become short, prices go up. You know, when we recovered from World War II, it took uh, two years to recover, get our economy back in a peacetime way, going from tanks to refrigerators. Well, the Biden administration, as you alluded to earlier, has been putting barriers up. So there are two kinds of inflation. Monetary inflation, the Fed creating too much money out of thin air, and the non-monetary kind, where you have disruptions, Usually those will work themselves out, but this administration's been going out of its way to be disruptive on energy, on, on, on freight, on regulations. You know, they talk about, oh, we love infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Then they put in rules so you can't build highways and repair bridges. I mean, it's insane. They say one thing and then do the exact opposite. But I want to talk about how inflation hits the American family real hard, because uh, if there's an inflation, they really have less spendable money, even though it may say $100. It's not worth $100 then, is it? No, it isn't. You know, money just makes it easier for us to buy and sell with each other billions of times a day around the world. And we trust that I can get something from you and you, I can use that money to get something else. You don't have to worry about going down in value. When you buy a gallon of gasoline each day, you don't have to worry about is it the same size as it was yesterday. Yeah. You buy a pound of cheese, it's 16 ounces. That doesn't float each yeah. day. Imagine the Federal Reserve is time in charge of the Time Bureau. 60 <laughs> minutes an hour one day, 48 minutes the next, 96 minutes the day after, be chaos. So when you change the value of money, which is simply a measure of value, you not only disrupt families, you not only disrupt commerce, which is how people have a chance to get ahead in life, but also what we call in the book social trust. I, I don't have to know you. I don't have to know anyone in your audience. But through money, if we trust it, like we used to trust the U.S. dollar, we can do all kinds of commercial transactions with each other, uh, make school arrangements and things like that. But when you undermine the value of money, then trust goes down. You know, Germany after World War I, was the most law-abiding nation on earth. Then came the great hyperinflation, which made possible the rise of Adolf Hitler. They're printing money all the time. 
They went to lawlessness because you were a sucker if you obeyed the rules, because you tried to work hard. No, speculation was the way you got ahead. Cheating was the way you got ahead. So the whole society collapsed. We saw the consequences. You see it today in Venezuela and elsewhere. Now, in this country, we've been going through a slow motion version of it when we went off the gold standard, which we had for 180 years from George Washington right up to the 1970s. Well, we've had ups and downs since then. But do you realize, I hate to throw out a number on a nice show like this, but before, when we were on the gold standard after World War II, we averaged over 4% growth a year. Since then, we've gone down because of the lack of trust in the dollar, 2.7. And you say, that doesn't sound like much, but do that over a 50-year period. This is an important number. Today, household income, median income is $67,000 when you take the whole country. If we had maintained the average growth rate that we did for nearly 200 years when we had a sound dollar, that average house, that median household income today would be 100 to 110,000. Now, don't you think life would be better if your income was twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars? That's the cost of when politicians play with money. And I don't want to be fair. Republicans were also oh, it's bipartisan. Richard Nixon was the one who took us off the gold standard. So it's not that we can blame Democrats for everything historically. But right now, Joe Biden's policies seem to be exacerbating. His press secretary just the other day once again says the reason gasoline prices are all expensive and grocery prices, it's all Putin's fault. It's Putin's price hikes. Now, that just doesn't seem reasonable to most Americans. And that, again, undermines the trust. One of the things we point out is when this kind of inflation rises up, they always blame scapegoats. In Roman times, they blamed Christians. In medieval times, they blamed witches. In Germany in the early 20s, when they had that terrible hyperinflation, they blamed Jewish merchants and bankers. President Nixon blamed uh, oil producers. Joe Biden blames oil producers, meat producers, uh, Vladimir Putin, drug makers, uh, you and me, everyone. We're, we're all at fault except him. But, but he has the capacity to at least make better decisions. Oh, yes. <laughs> but he, but I, I don't understand why doesn't he recognize, surely he's got some economist around him who says, Mr. President, inflation is really hurting the American family at every level. Why don't you do these things differently? So why doesn't he? Well, the far left won't let him. I mean, he's had member of his party, like Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton, and others telling him, uh, this is bad, warning him over a year ago where this was going to lead. They ignored it. And that's why this election is so important. The left is just going, far left is just going all out. They think maybe they'll lose an election, but if they do enough regulations, make enough changes, they can irretrievably make the country socialist. It's not going to work, but that's why this is so bad. And it's why not just economics, it eats away at the whole fabric of society every time the governments do something like this. You know, Steve, one of the things you said that really strikes me is that there is a breakdown in the social order when there's a breakdown in the economic order. Exactly. And I don't think a lot of people see the correlation. They say, oh, yeah, it's just an economic issue. But we're talking about crime goes up, uh, fraud goes up. People start cheating, not just, you know, the thieves on the subway, but we're talking about white-collar crime, people cheating their way to prosperity because they don't believe the system will work anymore. Well, it undermines faith in the honesty of the system, that if you're honest, you obey the rules, you go by the guardrails, that you can move ahead and society moves ahead and you have an ordered society. When you undermine the money, it undermines the economy, and you don't understand why it's happening, 
And so it undermines uh, what we call that social trust. And so you, and countries that routinely undermine their currency have, are far more violent than those that don't. Mm. It's all about trust. And it makes it easier when you have sound money, we can trust each other. We don't have to know each other, but we can trust each other to do things together. When you don't have that uh, faith, then faith in other things get undermined as well. It can be fast like happened in Germany or slow motion, which is what we've had in this country. You know, that, that makes more sense than anything I've heard, which is one of the reasons I always love visiting with you. I love reading the things you write. This book couldn't be more perfect in timing for every American to understand what's happening to us. And I hope that people will get a copy of Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Steve Forbes, so good to have you here. And I want to make sure that all of you go to Huckabee.tv. You'll learn more about Steve. We have a direct link to the book and to, uh, to Steve and all of his uh, uh, writings. And of course, great reporting and analysis from Forbes Media. Uh, speaking of media experts, Keith Bilbrey happens to be one of those. So we're going to turn to him and let him tell us what's coming up on the rest of the show. Take it, Keith. Well, up next, the hilarious Jeller Bees, plus family harmony from the Katinas. All ahead on Huckabee. Sign up for his free newsletter and follow AdGovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back, everybody, as we come into the music that, well, was made famous by Michael Jackson called Beat It. And nobody beats it better than Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Let's hear it for them. Now, I got to be honest, every time I hear that song, I, I don't think about Michael Jackson and beat it. I think of Weird Al Yankovic and his parody called Eat It. And you have to hear it to really appreciate it. Just next time, Trey, let's do that version of it. Sounds the same without the lyrics, but it's very funny. By the way, welcome back, Trey, from Israel. I know you and I were both there and had a great time, so I hope your jet lag has recovered. No, it has not. Oh. I'm close, though. Oh, okay. Well, Keith has recipes on how to get over all that, so I'll let you <laughs> oh, yeah. talk Hell to him later about it. Well, right now, we have a comedian, and he has made numerous Grand Ole Opry appearances, plus seven seasons and counting on the Discovery Channel. He's got a dry bar comedy special called Southern by the Grace of God. I like that. It's great to have someone who speaks Southern because I don't even need a translator. Would you welcome, please, the very funny and very Southern Killer Bees? Good job. How you doing? How y'all doing? It's the Huckabee Show. Well, I am I'm Killer Bees, the comedian. Y'all, real quick, that is not my real name. My real name is Truett S. Beasley Jr. Thanks, Dad. I lived most of my life in Jackson, Mississippi. 
Well, there's people going, what for? If you've never been to Jackson, Mississippi, y'all save up. Save up, go for that second honeymoon. Take jumper cables, get in free. There's right, y'all, y'all, there's a restaurant in Jackson that is so cheap, there's no shakers on the tables. The middle of the room has a salt lick. <laughs> the menus are scratching sniff. I started my stand-up career, y'all, y'all, I started my stand-up comedy career in the seventh grade in science class. We went on a field trip to a nature trail. Remember when you were in school, they'd take out to the woods to identify birds and bushes? We went to this nature trail, y'all. I ran up ahead of the class, ran the little bend, disguised myself. Had vines and leaves holding limbs. The class came along, and the teacher was like, you got a white oak, you got a red oak, and you got a smart alec wearing poison oak. <laughs> That's funny now. <laughs> so I'm married. I'm married, y'all. I'm married within an inch of my life. I'm middle-aged. I've got a young wife. Her baby pictures are in color. <laughs> She's kind of creepy. She has tooth... My wife has... Governor, my wife has toothpaste that is infused with charcoal. <laughs> Have y'all seen that? Have you heard of that? You don't use that, do you? She, look, she will brush her teeth and it foams up, black foam in her mouth. You know, you have, y'all, you know how on zombie movies you'll see the zombie and this black stuff is foaming? I'm like, honey, if you don't want to cuddle, just tell me. I use, y'all, y'all, I use Crest toothpaste. When I get done brushing my teeth, my breath is minty fresh. When she gets done brushing her teeth, mesquite. <laughs> and it rinses, it rinses when she gets done, it rinses out and then her teeth return to their normal yellow. So, <laughs> is that funny? Is that a funny? <laughs> She's where she can, my, y'all. My wife can pull her bra through her sleeve like an FBI snub nose. <laughs> it's like a kung fu weapon. <laughs> can y'all do that, ladies? Can you? I, how do you learn that? Is that what training bras are? <laughs> Get out on the range, practice that quick draw. <laughs> She can snatch her, my wife can snatch her bra through her sleeve and throw it out. And when it gets to the end, she does something with her wrist and it makes the cup out there shut. She snatched a cheese biscuit off a table at Red Lobster. I don't even have a joke for this. And all I could think, all I could think was if that was Dolly Parton's bra, we'd have got the whole basket. So she wants me to get in shape. That's her latest thing. Now, she, 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 my wife said, my wife said to me, "Don't you want to look good for swimsuit season?" I'm like, "No, I want to see good." Forget Planet Fitness. I'm headed to Lens Crafters. 
I went to the gym one time. I went to the gym, y'all, one time with my wife. We were there like 30 seconds. I'm like, dang, honey, that first machine made my forearm cramp. She goes, well, that was the doorknob. <laughs> she bought me, get this, she bought me some Nike cross trainers to work out in. I mean, that was pretty cool. This buddy, this buddy of mine goes, Bees, how do those shoes feel when you run in them? I'm like, surprised. <laughs> if I'm running, my shoes are wigging. She made me, get this, she made me start drinking green juice. Green, y'all don't do that, do you? Dude, dude, it's plant vomit. Do not, for those, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the green juice phenomenon, here's how it works. You get a blender, but it says juicer on the side because it's 75 more dollars. And you put nothing but raw green stuff in there. Chunks of broccoli, spinach leaves, pine needles, <laughs> dollar bills. My wife goes, aren't you worried about your cholesterol? I'm like, my cholesterol is fine. My chlorophyll level is up to here. <laughs> green juice weren't my golf game. You cannot putt when the sun is making your body lean toward it. Killer bees, y'all have been fantastic. Thank you very much. Y'all yell and holler and stuff. <laughs> oh man, what was fun? You know, I know why they called you Killer. You're killing it out here tonight. Please check out Killer Bees. He's got a new show, Nashville Stand Up, on Circle TV. For everything else to connect to Killer Bees, if you go to Huckabee.tv, we will put you in touch and connect you to all of Killer Bees' links. Now, Keith Bilbrey, if you can just stop laughing enough, catch your breath, what killer entertainment do we have coming up? Oh, yeah. Well, lean in toward the sun here. Still to come, Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac stands for his country. Then get your motors running for a salute to classic motorcycles on Huckabee. Jonathan Isaac is a professional basketball player that you may have seen on the court, but he's so much more than just an NBA star. And his story of courage, conviction, and deep faith is one you're going to want to hear. Because last year, when all of the NBA kneeled for the national anthem, Jonathan stood up and his brand new book, it's out this week, is called Why I Stand. Please welcome to the show a true American hero, Jonathan Isaac. You know what? You stay there. No way. You come down here. I come down. There we go. I'm almost as tall as him. Oh, wow. 
Jonathan, you've made history tonight. You are the tallest person we've ever had on our show. Okay, I like that. I like that. But I you know, about that. I, I must tell you, I am so impressed with your courage and you did something that just made you a hero to many Americans. And it was not something you were trying to be a show out about, but you believed when the national anthem was played, all the other members of the team of the Orlando Magic, all were wearing Black Lives Matter shirt. You did not. And when the national anthem was played, they were all on their knees and you stood tall. I think it was just a remarkable moment. And I heard you describe it later in an interview, but tell us, why did you not go along with the crowd? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm not here alone. So <laughs> I just want to shout out my beautiful wife, wherever she is. I can't see her. She's in the audience as well. I just give right back to Thank you. And uh, also, my pastor is here. I think we'll meet him a little bit later. We are going to. We are. Well. Absolutely. Uh, but when everything had happened, as tragic as George Floyd's death was, yeah. uh, what I tried my best to do is take a step back and think, what is the best way for me to respond in a way that could bring real change? Yeah. Um, and so there was so much pressure on the NBA players to kneel and wear the T-shirt. Um, but the same way that everybody else decided in that moment what would be right for them, I looked at my life and I said, you know what? The love of Jesus Christ and the gospel is what has helped change me. And, and that, that is the message that I wanted to stand up and share, um, that we're all on the same playing field, that we all fall short of God's glory. And if we could choose to love in the way that, God's lo that God loves us in spite of our faults, in spite of our differences, then we can have real change. Jonathan, one of the things that you said that I've heard is that we're individuals that we don't do things by group. And when someone was, I, I was watching the interviewer who was trying to bait you into saying that um, there was a lot of racism is horrible. And, and that's true. But you responded by saying, you know, it's not about being black or being white. It's about being an individual related to Christ. And I thought, how refreshing it is to hear someone just say, I, I, I'm an individual and my relationship to God is not because of my color, my gender, uh, or even because I'm a great basketball player. Where, where did that all come from in you? Well, it, it was definitely a journey to get there. And so much about why I stand isn't, isn't just about the stand. It's about the journey of how I got there in the first place. When I grew up, I really struggled with fear, anxiety, self-insecurity. And it was a process in me getting to where I am right now. In the book, I detail my relationship with my pastor, how I get to this place in the first place. But I think so much of human nature is to kind of back away into this tribalism that we're all, you know, from our specific place. But um, I think the gospel brings us together and helps us to see each other past our differences, past our faults. And we're human at the end of the day. So we're going to hurt each other. We're going to do bad things. But again, if we can love and forgive the way God loves and forgives us, then we could, you know, overcome a lot of the things that we see today in the world. But I get the impression that basketball is not the center of your life. It is a part of your life but it's not the most important thing. What is the most important thing? Well, ultimately the most important thing for me is to use my platform and what God has given me ultimately to glorify him. And so I've, I found myself in a moment where I said, I know what the right thing is. I know what is truly gonna heal this world and heal the hearts of men. And I'm gonna be willing to stand up and, and declare it. And I was on the phone the night before with my pastor and I said, yo, this thing is gonna be crazy. I don't think you understand the backlash or you know, all that's gonna yeah. come from it. Um, but he said something to me. He said, you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. Mm. And so that's when we decided and said, you know what? We're going to go through it. We're going to stand.
Can, can we meet your pastor? He's here tonight. Yes, we can. Can we bring him up? Yes, we can. Introduce us to your pastor. Tell us who he is. Come on up. Thank you for having us. Doc, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Jonathan, introduce your pastor so to us. This is Dr. Deron Hepburn. Um, we met on an elevator, and it's a story that I detail in the book where I'm, I'm playing for the Orlando Magic, and uh, I've been in the city for a few weeks, and I'm living my life, I'm doing my thing, and he stops me on the elevator, and he says, I can tell you how to be great. And I say, great, I'm in the NBA. What do you mean you mean great? He said, I can tell you how to be great, and in order to be great, you have to know Jesus. And I said, Jesus, man, I grew up in church, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then we have this amazing story of God just connecting the dots and ultimately just um, developing our relationship and just coincidences. And, and it's, it's just an, an amazing story. And ultimately, he became my pastor. And I've been a part of the church for four and a half years now. And it was a big part of, you know, who I am today and how I became to stand. It, it was easy. I would always see Jonathan. I didn't know he played in the NBA at the time. He had just moved to Orlando. I thought he played ball overseas. Uh -huh. And then when I saw him coming out the elevator, I said, hey, I can tell you how to be great. And he said, tell me. I say, you have to know Jesus. But the funny thing was, I never told him I was a pastor. Jonathan had a preconceived idea about pastors. Later on, I found that out. So I was just building relationship with him and just showing him the love of God. And he injured himself. He had injured himself. Tell him about the story about the food and the grocery store. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's, it's so weird because there's so many details. I don't want to give it all away. But, uh, so oh, they got to uh, buy the book, man. Gotta, I mean, they, come on. You guys got to get the book. Uh, so... Uh, uh, what's, what's the best place to start? Thanksgiving, and you were going to buy food. Okay, right. So it, it was Thanksgiving, and I was talking to another friend of mine, and I said, you know what? We're going to buy a bunch of burgers, and we're going to go hand it out to the homeless. And uh, uh, that's, that's what we decided to uh -huh. do. Um, and, and then I was going to the movie theaters. Now, so th that, that conversation has passed. We're going to the movie theaters with a friend of mine. We go to see a Christian film. The film is terrible. <laughs> Halfway through the movie, <laughs> we leave. It's so cheesy, and we go finish watching <laughs> Thor. Yeah. <laughs> we go watch Thor, and uh, 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 we finish Thor. We're getting out of the movie theater. I'm trying to speed through it. We get to the movie theater. He asked me, where are you at with God? I said, you know what? I am, I'm searching. I'm in a place I'm not sure. He says, if you keep searching, you're going to find. I go to leave out of the movie theater, and he is driving in one direction. I'm driving in another direction. At this the is, same time, which is almost 10, 11 o'clock at night. We're still, wow. just, we're still just friends at this point. And uh, we get to the same stop, and I roll down my window. I'm like, is that? And it's him. I said, God wants this dude in my life. And so I said, you, me, breakfast tomorrow. We go to breakfast the next day. I tell him about my story about wanting to feed the homeless with burgers. And he says, you cannot do that. So why not? He said, if you're going to feed people, you have to feed them right. And so uh, he says, I have a catering business through the church, and they, they feed prisons and all that things. But I, again, I didn't know it was a church. And so uh, we go, follow, I follow him to Sam's Club. I buy a bunch of food. Um, I hand it to him. And on my way to Sam's Club, I'm thinking, what are you doing? You don't even know who this guy is. Why are you going to Sam's Club with him? Uh, but I get a bunch you of... You just fed his family for who? Don't forget <laughs> that part. That's what I said. I said to myself, I, said, I just fed this man's family for a year. Um, but I, I, I give him, I, I give his people the food, and I get texted an address the next Saturday. And I pull up to the address, and there's a line of about 200 homeless people. And I jump in line, and I start serving with them. And the woman who was serving food next to me became my wife. So wow. That's who she is. Wow. There's so many great stories in this book, and uh, we're so excited to have you here. And Jonathan, I really do believe God has raised you up as a voice, not just for basketball, 
but a voice to, to give reason and sanity and balance in this world. I want our audience to keep up with you. I want them to get this book for the inspiration they'll get. And you can get it. Go to Huckabee.tv. We'll connect you to how to get the book. And uh, would you give a big hand once again for Doc Hepburn and Jonathan Isaac this wonderful book. Keith Bilbrey, as always, is our reliable connection to what's next right here on the show. Keith? Well, after the break, celebrating National Motorcycle Awareness Month, then R&B Christian band, the Katinas. Stay tuned for more Huckabee. Represent the Huckabee Nation wherever you go. Get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. And welcome back, everyone. I got to tell you, that Jonathan Isaac, that's one tall drink of water if I've ever been around one, that's for sure. What a great guy. Now, here's something I bet you didn't know. May is National Motorcycle Awareness Month. So we celebrated by hitting the open road to go to Birmingham, Alabama to visit the incredible Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Hello, my name is Jeff Ray, and I'm the executive director of the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum here in Birmingham, Alabama. We're home to the largest collection of motorcycles known to exist in the world. And if you visit our museum, you'll see at least 1,000 bikes on display at any given time. We represent motorcycles from the turn of the last century to current day modern motorcycles. Right now, we're celebrating a month of motorcycles here in the United States, but motorcycling goes way back in this country. The 1903 Indian you see here represents one of the first production motorcycles in the United States. And this is about as as basic as basic of transportation as you could get with an internal combustion engine. This is a 1912 Harley-Davidson single. This was state-of-the-art at the time. You almost had to be a mechanical engineer to operate the thing because you had to pedal start it like a bicycle, then you had to adjust the fuel flow, then you had to adjust the timing, and then you also had to watch for perils because the brakes weren't very good. They were the same as coaster brakes on a bicycle. But then you fast forward about 100 years and you move into what we see today on the road, this is the Harley-Davidson Cruiser, it's an ultra-classic. Uh, this has got a liquid-cooled twin V-twin in it, it's got GPS, it's got a sound system, it's state-of-the-art. Uh, it's basically about as sophisticated as any car you buy today. We look all the way back to the 19-teens, and we saw about 260 manufacturers in the U.S. building two-wheel vehicles. Uh, they became a com competition for transportation, of course, we went into World War II. The motorcycle adapted very easily to that. And one of the great things that came out of World War II was the fact that we took a farm guy, brought him into the military, took a guy from New York City, put him in the military. They became friends. And after the war, they kept that unity of the unit going. And a lot of that is how we evolved these motorcycle clubs and motorcycle organizations, which became part of the culture of our fabric of our nation. Motorcycling today in this country is really unique where it's uh, considered a form of recreation. Uh, in Europe, it's still a legitimate form of transportation and people depend on it. And even with the fuel prices going up today, we'll see more and more people, you know, riding a motorcycle, but it's still really recreation. It's a time to get away. It's a time to get your mind clear. 
and just go out and enjoy. Some people say that the greatest generation of motorcycling is my generation. Uh, you know, I was a product of the 70s, and you know, everybody had a dirt bike, everybody got to ride. But I really think that as the recreation element moves forward, that our future is very bright. It may not be fully uh, internal combustion engine, but there will always be a motorcycle element out there for transportation and for recreation and just for the pleasure of it all. Our thanks to the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Now, continuing the motorcycle theme, we're also lucky to have one of the greatest collections of vintage motor vehicles on Earth right here in Nashville. And to share something very special, please welcome the founder of the Lane Motor Museum, Jeff Lane. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Who knew there were so many motorcycle museums? You have the one here in Nashville, and you brought a sample. Yes. This looks brand new. How old is this motorcycle? This is a 1987 Suzuki GS GSXR 750. Wow. I mean, it looks so good. I mean, it looks uh, almost as young as Keith does. So that's <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. Now, when did you get excited about riding motorcycles? Was it something you had interest in when you were a kid? Yeah. When I started, I grew in a kind of, of a farm town, and I started riding mini bikes and dirt bikes. And then, as I got older and got old enough to get my license. I, that always helps. Yeah, that, that helps your life. Nice yep. to have that. I started riding motorcycles on the road. You ever had a wreck? I have not. I mean, in the dirt, I have. Really? Many in but the I dirt. But I mean, like on the road. But, not, but not on the road. Nope. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's, that's awesome. Now, is this the kind of motorbike we would call a crotch rocket because it's so fast? Is that what we that, That's what it is, yes. Because I see those things and they're bike. going 90 miles an hour on the freeway. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> we're going to see that guy in the ER someday, you know? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not, indeed. Yeah. But tell us about uh, when people come to, to your place here in Nashville. What are they going to see? So we're predominantly, we have cars and motorcycles. We're predominantly cars. We have Euro mostly European cars and mostly different cars that you haven't seen other places, like micro cars. Um, we have some propeller-powered cars, amphibious cars. Wow. Um, we have some cars that are kind of, we have one car that's kind of a half motorcycle, and a half car. So there was a gentleman in France that he liked to ride a motorcycle and his wife liked a little more creature comfort. So there's like a little cabin in front where she can sit with a windshield and windows and everything. And then he sits on the back on kind of like a motorcycle and steers. So it's kind of a little, you know, something for everybody. I think I might actually like that one. You know, the sidecar <laughs> thing would be kind of cool. Yep. So, um, you know, National Motorcycle Awareness Month. I didn't know there was such a thing until we did this feature on the show. And uh, it's, it's a growing thing. People really are using it, not just for transportation, but right now, it's cheaper to ride a motorcycle than it is to drive a car with gas at 450 and above a gallon, right? Yeah, most motorcycles hold like two or three gallons and get 50 to 100 miles per gallon, depending on the size of the motorcycle. Well, we hope people will come to Nashville because they want to come to see the Huckabee Show. But while they're here, they need to go see the museum as well. Jeff, thank you very much for being here. You know, motorcycles are only the beginning of the amazing collection of vintage vehicles that you're going to see at the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville. So learn more about it, as well as the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum in Birmingham. How to do that? Real simple. Go to Huckabee.tv. We've got the links to all of it. So when you come here to Nashville, you can go to the Lane Museum as well. Hey, Keith, why don't you tell us how we're going to end the best show on two wheels tonight? 
I would love to. Rev up for the great music at the Cantinas right around the corner on Huckabee. next week with Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves and former Rare Earth member Peter Rivera. Yeah, yeah we love these guys over here playing, and they're kind of getting excited about these guys that are our tonight's musical guests. They grew up on the island of American Samoa. It influenced their unique blend of musical genres that's created some of the most popular worship songs in the whole world. Their latest album is called Sunday Set Two, and their story is told in an upcoming documentary, The Katinas, the movie. Would you welcome, please, The Katinas? Thank you, Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We are excited to have you here. You know, when most of us are thinking about musical influences, be honest with you, I doubt American Samoa is where we say, there's the centerpiece of the world. So when you were growing up, what were the main musical influences that, that kind of shaped you? Yes, Gov, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you. We're fans. Oh, thank big you. Big fans. You have uh, a lot of Polynesian You just got fans. a return engagement <laughs> right here. Absolutely. Uh, so in American Samoa, where we're from, when we were growing up, they only had one radio station. So whatever the radio station played is who we loved. Wow. So they played a mixture of the Commodores, Hall & Oates, the Jacksons, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Andre Crouch. Yeah. Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Uh, you know, Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Some Southern gospel in there. So we just learned how to love you it You guys all. really are messed up, aren't you? <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we are. So when, when did it all start gelling for you to as you played together and created your own unique sound, kind of an eclectic yeah. version. So dad is a musician, and uh, part of the story is he, he became a pastor. Yeah. And so uh, he was like, man, I've got all these, these kids. You're going to play the drums. You're <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. play the bass. And, uh, and he taught us how to harmonize. And so we were the, the worship band at his church back in the house. I, and my guess is that uh, the one that he loved the most, he said, you're going to play the bass. <laughs> the, you've got a movie out, and I'm going to play a little clip for our audience and let them see uh, the clip from The Katinas, the movie. Let's watch. She told the doctor, you know what? No, my decision is I want for my baby to live. And I was like, this is legitimate, a legitimate R&B band singing about God. This is unique. What you see from the stage isn't the whole picture. That's reflected in their music. It's reflected in the kindness and the openness that you get. The good news is that your family is just like the Katinas. And the bad news is your family is just like the Katinas. <laughs> Whoever produced that was smart enough to get that last shot playing the bass. Yes. I love that. Yes. yes. I think the movie is going to be wonderful to see, especially now that we'll be introduced to you. So while the Katinas get set up, Keith is going to tell us how we can hear more of their fantastic music. 
For music, touring dates, booking info, their podcast, and more, and to see a digital exclusive of the Katina's song here, go to Huckabee.tv. Now, to perform all right, here are the Katinas. Get through these days, at least that's what they say. Oh, yeah. I hear you, but I just can't be afraid. Why would I run and hide? God's not surprised. Oh, yeah. His mercy never changes. Come on. Say we're living in a certain time, but I want to tell you that I'm certain I'll have everything that I need when I need it. When God makes a promise. He's on it Won't forget what he says Never has, never will Sleepless night Hold on tight I don't know when this is going Everything will be alright I trust in you I know you'll get me through Love is whispering Get what he said, never had 